This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Welcome to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler, and thank you for showing up this episode. And on this episode, we have Layla. Uh, She is a narcissist abuse survivor. I interviewed her, and her story is uh, pretty crazy. Um, It involves her being married to a, a police officer and uh, police abuse. Uh, It's a scary story, and she told her story uh, quite well. Uh, But before we even get into that, let me just go over the regular uh, little thing that we now do before our shows, and just to state that narcissism is a character trait that exists on a spectrum. A small amount of narcissism is healthy. A person with an unhealthy level of narcissism may be called a narcissist. Uh, this podcast, uh, we refer to a narcissist as a person who exhi- exhibits narcissistic traits and is on a consistent pattern of maladaptive narcissistic, narcissistic behaviors, regardless of whether they meet the diagnostic criterion or have a formal diagnosis. A person may be referred to as a narcissist uh, on this podcast, even if it is more likely that they have an other cluster B personality disorder, such as borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, or antisocial personality disorder. And now with that out of the way, I'm just trying to think of how my, how my week was before we get into uh, the podcast uh, with our interview. And... Uh, I just want to say, actually, uh, want to say that later this week, because I'm going to put out two this week, because the second one is more of, uh, is not a story, it's just a great informative episode where we did a question and answer, where all you guys sent in the questions to uh, a therapist that we got to be on the show. Uh, we had someone on, her name was uh, uh, Sheeran Pekar, and, uh, sorry, I didn't say her name properly, Shireen uh, Pekar and Shireen was, it's a great episode. She answers all of your questions. We went through uh, close to somewhere between 15 and 18 questions that people uh, sent in to us. It's a very uh, informative episode. She answered them perfectly and clearly for everyone to understand. Uh, hopefully we can get her back on. That'll be later this week. And so stick around for that one. That's going to come out pretty much uh, probably on the Friday. And we're trying to get those informative ones out uh, as fast as as we can. Uh, So uh, that is that. And besides that, I I didn't do much this week. I uh, did the podcast. I edited. You know, you guys don't want to hear about me. Uh, Oh, actually, one more thing. (laughs) I'm all over the place. One more thing. We started a Reddit group. So our subreddit, if you're on Reddit, look up Narcissist Apocalypse. That is what our subreddit is called. The N is capitalized and the A is capitalized on Apocalypse. If you're a Reddit person, we created a subreddit so we can all go on there uh, and talk. We can do postings in the, in, in the subreddit if people aren't familiar with subreddit. It's kind of difficult for non-computer people to figure out at first. It's, it's a little confusing. But once you're on there and you join the group, we can all interact with each other better. And maybe uh, people who are once guests on the show can be on there and answer questions if they want to. 
give updates on their life, anything that's like uh, that anyone wants to do. I'll pop up on Reddit hopefully a couple times a day just to see what's going on. I am a moderator there. I'm the only moderator. We already have 11 members after one day. I'll take that as good news. Um, and then besides that, oh, last thing before we get to the interview, and that's the second time I've said that. Uh, one of my friends, I was out the other day at a barbecue, and one of my friends uh, said to me that uh, they're like, you, they said to me, you're a, uh, a certified coach. How come you, you never mentioned that uh, on your show? And it just it was not part of why I started the show in the first place. So, and I, and I don't uh, do it professionally. I actually got certified for, you know, my own uh, curiosity and, and, and well-being to learn how to communicate better with other people and listen better. Uh, so anyway, they told me to say that on the show. So yeah, uh, I, I am. And uh, that's maybe I'll, I'll do that now for at the beginning of the show is just to say I have some kind of qualification just instead of being me uh, to sit here and listen and, and talk to you. But uh, I just like being me anyway. And so should you. Now, let's just get to... Uh, listen to Layla and a story that is so hard to believe. It would only like if it was a movie, it would be hard to believe. Um, but uh, it was her real life. And now uh, here is her story. So we are here today with a narcissist abuse survivor named Layla. How are you doing today, Layla? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for uh, taking part on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And for everyone out there, you are about to hear uh, an interesting story that involves uh, Layla, uh, her marriage to a police officer, and um, the uh, abuse uh, that went with it. And it's a pretty scary situation because of the authority that uh, this person had. Uh, and, uh, now I will get out of your way and the floor is now yours, Layla, to tell your story. Um, where to begin? Well, my husband was very, very handsome. I actually met him, um, because I lived alone and I heard a noise in the backyard and it scared me and I called 911 and my husband was the one who showed up, but you know, we, we didn't even know each other. And just super, super handsome, pretty blue eyes. And it was just love at first sight. But we didn't start dating right away. We became friends. He was dating a lawyer um, at the time. And so we maintained contact and um, eventually started dating. And everything was perfect. We were like madly in love. He would, um, now we both had children, so the dating wasn't, uh, you know, as frequent because we both had children. He had a kid. I had a kid. His daughter's like, um, 12 and my son's like 10 at the time. And so we're going on these dates. Everything's fine. We didn't introduce the kids yet. And, um, all is perfect. Didn't really notice anything. And I'm in nursing school. I have a house of my own. Um, you know, he just works. He has a house 30 minutes away. And he starts, um, oh, I'd really like you to come live with me. I don't get to see you enough. 
And um, I'm like, well, I have my own house. You know, I can come stay with you some, but, you know, I do have my own house. So I didn't know, like, is he wanting me to pay half the bills? Like, I wasn't sure. But anyways, I ended up staying there a lot. And then my son and I did eventually move in. And you know how they talk about these, these narcissists, how they're secretly working behind your back. And I never really paid attention to it, but I, he, he told someone that I had just moved myself into his house. Like, Oh, she just moved in. Um, and he just, he's like, oh, and then I felt bad because, you know, her and her son, he tried to make me look like some kind of charity case. I was not in need of his home, but that was like the, that was like a little sign that I didn't pay attention to. I think it was my sister who told me. My sister's like, yeah, he just said you just moved in one day. So that was kind of like the beginning of his lie. He's like a pathological liar. So anyways, I'm living there, um, cooking, cleaning, um, decorating, and everything's good, except he's got this mom that lives five minutes away. And Chad, this is a whole other thing. Not only is this man a narcissist, his entire family is like him. It's like an entire group of toxic, toxic people. It's like their family norm. And... um you know, I often think that the, his behaviors stem back to his relationship with his mother and because um, she was very toxic, too. So, anyway, she lives five minutes away during the day while I'm away. She comes pilfering through the house. Um, and I, I don't know her. She hasn't um, come to talk to me or, you know, just when you meet someone normally in a healthy relationship, like, their family welcomes you in, speaks to you. So his mom, because it ended up being a lot of the fights we got into and ultimately the final, the final argument that resulted in, in him getting arrested pertained to his mother and daughter. But he had this, this bratty, spoiled child. Uh, you know, she's doing horseback riding, gymnastics, all these privileges. And so here, my son's living here and he's, you know, seeing this, and I'm like, hey, you know, can can you, like, take Zach to do, um, you know, gymnastics or, or karate or something? And so there was a big difference in the children's, um, what they were, what they had. You know, one, one kid has all these things and the other one doesn't, and so that was something we would start arguing about. But I'm just, I'm trying to think of just where it all started. I had a job at a club. He told me to quit my job at the club. He's like, I don't like you working there. And, um, you know, if I had any guy's numbers in my phone, it didn't matter how old they, how old they were. Um, my son had a, had a little friend at school. They'd been best friends for years while I was friends with her dad. No romantic interest, not attracted. He was significantly older. I mean, I was not allowed to even have the numbers dormant in my phone that belonged to male. So he became extremely possessive. Um, I, I quit my job, and I was in nursing school, and I worked a job. I just I made really good money, so he made me quit the job. And then I'm like, well, you know, how am I going to pay my tuition? And uh, he said he would pull out of his, his retirement. 
And so he did. And, and I agreed to pay him back one, you know, in four months. That was, that was the agreed upon date. So the next day he lets me borrow the money. The next day out of the blue, he accuses me of cheating on him, not cheating on him at all. Never did. And I just felt like, what are you even talking about? I felt like I was having to defend something that didn't, it didn't even happen. There was no proof. Uh, I, I don't know. I think he just had regret about lending me the money. And so he just needed to find a reason to get it back. And so long story short, I didn't have the money and I wasn't going to have it for four months. And that's what I told him. So he stayed drunk all weekend he, um, he was at his home. I was at mine 30 minutes away and he sends me this, this, this picture via text. It's his door, his front door is kicked in. And then he sends me another picture text of his back all scratched up. And he says, why did you kick in my door? Why did you scratch my back? And I'm like, holy shit, the man is accusing me of something I'm, I'm literally nowhere near him. And I'm starting to get scared because, Chad, I've never been to jail. I'm like, I just haven't. And, and this is starting to scare me. And then the next day, um, he starts threatening me. He's like, I'm going to say you stole my, my credit card. He's like, why do you think, why do you think I let you call and make the payment? And that that scared me because that showed some premeditation there because when he let me, he gave me his debit card. He wanted me to call the school and pay it because he was driving and I didn't really feel comfortable doing that. And I told him that and he's like, no, I can't do it right now. I'm driving. But he did call the bank and have the amount approved because it was a significant amount of money. But right there is just the monster, like that you would premeditate setting someone up and anything over, I think like a thousand dollars is a felony. So this man's like accusing me. He's like, I'm going to say that you stole this card and, and he's a cop and I'm just, you know, a nursing student working at this shady joint, you know, at night. So who do you think they're going to believe? And it just really scared me. And so then he lets his, his, his mom and his brother in on what's going on. What do you call them? Like the little support people of the narcissist. Are those the, the, the flying monkeys? Uh, th- those are the flying monkeys, yeah. Okay. So now he's got the flying monkeys involved in all of this. So um, he proceeds to tell them that I stole his card. And I mean, come on. I'm 30. How old was I at the time? 32 years old. Never been arrested. Never had, had committed any crime. And I'm four months. To getting a second bachelor's degree. Why in the world would I do something? I wouldn't. But you know, with these types of flying monkeys, they don't ever come to you because this is what I experienced. They never came to me and said, hey, what's your version of this story? No one ever asked me. And I think in a situation like this with people like this, I think one of the biggest, the biggest things that really frustrated me is you, you lose your voice. I mean... I just felt like I didn't even have a voice. And so there, he started a group text with them and he's telling them that I stole this card. And the mom wrote back, get rid of her son. And, and who says get rid of someone like they're an object. And that's why I think the mother's really a big part of why he is such a narcissist. And he just discards people the way he does. 
because I noticed the way that she would speak to him. And she's like, oh, get rid of her. Well, I'm a human being. Thank you. You don't just get rid of people. So she told him to get rid of me. And then the brother's like, what a fucking bitch. Uh, You need to call the school and tell the school. and, And a lot of nursing programs will kick her out. Chad, I had lived a very poor life. My my parents were not college educated. Food stamps, welfare, goodwill, clothes, the whole nine yards. And so, you know, I've really had to just fight like hell to get where I'm at. And you have these people that are just like, let's ruin her. And not even no one even called me to see what the hell was going on. And really it was just he had stayed drunk all weekend. But that was his go-to was like scare tactics when he didn't get his way. And so um, I had a friend who was a police officer and I text and I sent him all these screen grabs and I'm like, I am terrified right now. Like, what do I do? I'm like, I'm scared someone's going to come arrest me right now. And he's like, okay, this is what you need to do because he didn't, my, my boyfriend husband at the time he was my boyfriend, he didn't work in the city that he lived in. So this guy's like, you need to call the county he works in and call and speak to his supervisor and do what's referred to as a call log. And Chad, a call log is just like it's, a, it's confidential. Only certain people have access to it. So no one really knows that it exists. But it's really just a documentation of, of an incident. And so anyone who's going through anything like this um, is certainly like an option and so a crime hadn't really been committed here and that I had been assaulted or that he actually went through with it. But it was just in case a detective comes to the house to arrest me or something, you know, hey, this call log, I called and I was, I was over here. And, you know, it can show where the call was made from. So anyways, that's what I did. I called and had a call log done. Um, but when he started threatening to call my school, that was when I had enough um, because Everyone at my school knew him. They knew he was a cop. And um, I, I'm just like, I can't even. It was, it was the fact that he was going to plant the seed of doubt in people's minds. So I, I went ahead and called his department where he worked, and I told them what had happened. And, um, you know, that's conduct unbecoming of an officer. You can't go around accusing people of stuff they didn't do just, just to get what you want. So they calmed him down. Long story short, he reverted back to the love bombing. So he took me to Charleston for the weekend and, um, you know, spent a thousand dollars on this really nice. I mean, we had like the honeymoon suite at this beach resort. And of course the, the, our sexual relationship was very, very active and very, very good. And so, you know, here we are back to, back to being together and everything's fine. Um, and that's what he would do a lot. He would um, take me on vacation or, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know, but that was just one of the, the major stories. And uh, so now um, the family thinks I've stolen this credit card. They continue to treat me really awful, um, which really affected our relationship with each other. Um, and then... And you know what? I don't know how long, like, he's been talking bad about me to them or making up lies. No wonder they they never spoke to me. You know, they thought I was a crazy person. 
And um, by the time I was out of this relationship, that's how I felt. Like I had, I had gone crazy. Um, so from that point like, of when the trip happened, uh, how long until you got married? Let's see. Um, and I assume that during that period, so I'm sure during that period, uh, he was on his best behavior for that uh, next six months until you got married or did things happen in, in between there as well? Oh my gosh, no. And you know, it's almost embarrassing telling this story because the one thing I get is, didn't you see red flags before? Yes, people. Yes, people. I did see red flags. But, um, you know, I, I say to people, I had battered wife syndrome before I was even a battered wife. Um, so I told you I quit that job. He didn't like this job that I had. It was at a club. And so once I was moved in living there, um, he would get in these rages at night. Uh, he would accuse me of cheating. And I'm talking like a, a, a man's phone numbers in my phone, in my call log, you know, just like how you have numbers. I haven't called anyone. I'm not speaking to anyone. I just wasn't even allowed to have guys numbers in my phone. And so at nighttime, he would get in these rages, and um, it, was, it was when, you know, the kids weren't around. And he would start screaming at me and barricade me in the bathroom and accuse me of cheating and just, I didn't know what to do because at this point, everyone knows that we're together. Um, usually things are good between us, usually. And then he has these rages. And so he was accusing me of stuff I didn't do. And at first when he would act this way, I was just in such shock because I've never been in a relationship this abusive. Um, so I just sat there in shock. Not, I didn't know what to say. And, um, you know, I'm just, and then he would apologize. He would apologize. Sometimes he would even cry a little bit. Oh, I'm so sorry. And so, you know, once he had his rage and, and got out what he needed to get out, all was good. And I didn't really know how to get out at that point. You know, I, I, I still loved him. Um, all my stuff was there. So I would have had to call my, my dad to come help me move. And then, you know, the social media aspect of it. You've got to get on social media and, and uh, change your relationship status. And I think just caring what people think, uh, Sometimes keeps you in really bad places. <laughs> um, so that's no more either. I just really don't care at this point. But um, I, I lived there with him, and uh, when when the kids weren't around, it was like he would degrade me. Um, he would accuse me of doing things I didn't do. You're just such a low life slut, a whore. You're you're stupid. Just all these awful things. And so that's where the breakdown is. They break you down first. Because I wasn't really being, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't being viciously, physically attacked, but he was breaking me down. My self-esteem, he was just chipping away at it. And whenever we get in an argument at his house, he would throw all my belongings out in the yard. And, um, you know, my stuff would break. He, he just, no regard for me, no respect for me. And I'm just thinking is this even normal? So I got there and pick all my stuff up off the ground, throw it in my car and drive to my house because I have a house. And he would show up, Chad, and he would just such a charmer. 
I'm so sorry. You're the love of my life. You're the one. I, I, I just don't know why things are so difficult because you're in school right now. I mean, he was just such a smooth operator. And I fell back into the trap every single time because at the time I didn't know what this was. And now that I've read these books, I'm like pissed because it's very by the book behaviors that he was doing to me. Um, so I'd go back, I'd go back. He would say, I, I guess he would behave maybe a week is the longest he could go because you know, these people aren't real. The, the person I fell in love with wasn't even real. Is mm-hmm. So once, once he, I saw who he really was, and then I would leave, and then he would love bomb me, and I would come back. He could only behave for about a week. And, and then I'll tell you, like, he would minimize my concerns. This is another thing. They, they minimize things when you try to talk to them. You know, I would um, decorate his home, and it was a total bachelor pad, and I just like things to be pretty. So I was decorating, and um, I walked by the daughter's room, and the daughter is in the room on the phone with her mom. And I'm, I'm always nice to the daughter, do nice things for her that I don't need to or have to, just trying to, to bond. You know, this is at like the eight-month mark, I guess. And um, I walk by her room, and I hear her on the phone with her mother. And she's like, I don't know why Maria thinks she can decorate the house. This is me and daddy's house. And, you know, the mom's like, well, where's? Where is she right now? Like, can she hear you? I don't care. If she comes to my room, I'll slap her in the face. And so, you know, I I tell him about this, what I heard. And, um, you know, I'm really mad about this because this this child has me thinking that she likes me. And the entire time, she's been talking bad about me. And so when she gets off the phone, Chad, she comes out and she's like, what you guys doing with a big smile on her face? So the manipulation, the child's even doing it. She's learned it from her dad. Oh yeah. Like you you can't blame, uh, her. I mean, she's, she has, uh, a narcissistic, uh, father, her grandparents. Yeah. I mean, like she has, she has no chance. Well, and so, that's what I have started to realize because at first I'm like, when she first started doing these things and you have to understand, she went around to his entire family talking bad about me simply because she was jealous or didn't want to share. And it made me so angry. Now I was always nice to her, but you know, I never really addressed it with her. And, um, I always went to her dad and was like, Hey, like, this is what she was doing. This is what she was saying. Anyway, he told me, this is typical of them too. Well, you shouldn't have been at the door listening. Mm-hmm. So it became my fault. And, um, you know, we just, we would get into it over the children, um, over, particularly over his daughter being so um, hateful to my son and I. Very hateful child. But again, Chad, she learned from the best of the best. She learned from her father and her narcissistic grandmother. And so she really doesn't, she stands a chance, but only if she gets therapy before she's a young adult. And, um, how did your, uh, son function in all of this? How, how, uh, have you spoken to him about what's happened? And, uh, I not, no, mm-hmm. it, but, but did he, so he got it from, uh, he didn't get along with her. Did he get along with, uh, 
your husband? Uh, he actually, he got along with both of them. He did. And um, I didn't tell him. So obviously he knows we got divorced. Um, and, you know, I just told him, you know, I don't get along with him or his daughter and it just wasn't working. He's like, okay. Okay. You so know, he so he that's, was, that's good that he was kind of, uh, shielded from what was going on behind the scenes. Cause I guess it was all behind the scenes, mostly when he wasn't there. It was, well, and you have to keep in mind this, this guy, he's not wanting to lose his career. Mm-hmm. And so he's not going to be doing, he's not going to be body slamming me to the ground and restraining me to the ground with witnesses around. And so that was, that was a good thing for my child though, because he was never around for it. He wasn't going to see it. And, um, you know, he, he knew, my son knew there was a few little problems, but we typically weren't like doing, we weren't yelling or screaming around the children. You know, it would be on a typical work night, his daughter's with the mother, my son's with my dad, because we both have to be up extremely early and we can't take the children to school anyway. So it would be those times when the kids were out of the house that he would just really just do whatever he wanted to me. And it, it usually pertain to him saying something nasty to me, tearing me down. And when I go to leave the house, falsely imprisons me. Like, he won't let me leave. He takes my phone. He throws it across the room. So I can't call for help. And body slams me to the ground because I'm wanting to leave. Like, he's polluting my, my emotional health. Like, I'm not going to stand here and let you just say these nasty things to me that I know aren't true. And so as I go to leave, this is one of the things he would just, it was a very common thing for him to do to me. He would, like, body, I would lose my footing. Um, And he would, you know, he would body slam me to the ground. He would, like, take my feet out from under me, body slam me to the ground, get a hold of both of my, my wrists, and restrain me to the floor. And he would put his face on my face. And just say whatever he wanted to say, whatever, whatever nasty, degrading things he wanted to say, he would say them. And I just could not get up. I was just stuck. And when I would finally get up, I feel so violated, um, just so, so upset over it. And I look at myself and I'm like, I don't have a mark on me. Chad, I don't have a mark on me. The man just body slammed me to the ground. You can't call the police with no mark on you. And, um, you know, like, he really chipped away at the self-esteem. It's like the main, the main thing that he did to me. And then, um, and then what, there was the cheating. There was the cheating. Um, I don't know when the cheating started. Um, I know that when we get in fights, he would mention other women like, Oh, I should just go be with so-and-so. And, um, I remember we were actually on vacation in Florida. We'd stayed at a Gloria Stefan hotel, beautiful hotel, like just paradise all week. It was sunny. It was beautiful. We're out on the beach. And that's the thing with these people, whether things are good or bad, he was cheating no matter what. And his primary, his primary thing was Snapchat. That's the thing that I would always catch him on. And, um, 
you know, we're at the beach having a good time. We get um, back to the hotel and he's like really tired. I don't know if he drank too much or what, but he goes in and, and he passes out. He left his cell phone in the car, which is like highly unusual. It's always glued to him. And so I'm sitting there texting my friend and all of a sudden his phone goes, you know, a little, a little beep or something. And I look and, you know, it's locked. But Chatty had it set so, like, if he got a Snapchat message, it would show up on the screen. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And so here the Snapchat comes through, and it's from his ex-girlfriend. And so, anyways, I took, it, I took it upstairs. I made him open the phone. I made him, and it was just like he'd obviously sent her a picture. But here we are, the point being, here we are on vacation. It's one of the rare occasions where we're not in an argument and here he is he had sent her a picture of the beach like you're on vacation with me and you're thinking of your ex-girlfriend but it was just always things like that the cheating was just a constant once I caught him it just it just remained you know the cheating the the devaluing the discarding I can't tell you how many times he threw my stuff out in the yard um I, I even had landscaped his yard one time and I bought like five boxwoods and he got mad at me and he wanted me to leave. And so he's screaming, raging. And I get out to my car and he yanks these boxwood bushes out of the ground. You know, they have this root ball on them, all this dirt attached. He opens my car door and swings five boxwoods into my car. And, um, while I'm gathering my stuff, because he's telling me that I need to just all of a sudden move out abruptly, um, he slams me up against the wall by my throat. And um, when I get out to the car and he's, he's throwing these boxwoods in my car and he's acting crazy, I call 911 and the dispatcher's like, have you been assaulted? And I'm like, I can't answer that. And she goes, have you been assaulted? I go, I can't answer that. She goes, well, stay in your car and lock the doors. And I do. And so the police get there. And, you know, really what I'm wanting is my son had picture day the next day. And I bought this really nice outfit for him at the mall. And it's like 8 o'clock at night now. Like the only thing opens Walmart if I can't get this outfit out of the house. And so the police come and I, you know, they see the bushes in my car. They see the holes in the ground where he put the pulled by boxwoods just out of the ground like a lunatic. And, um... I'm just wanting, I'm wanting to go in the house and get my son's clothes. He wouldn't let me get my son's clothes out of the house. And um, so the police are there. And I'm covering up my neck at this point with my hair. I, didn't, I wouldn't even tell on him. I would not even tell on this man. And they're like, have you, have you been um, assaulted? No, I'm okay. And uh, I'm covering up my neck because it's got these marks on it from where he's flung me up against the wall. And so it's my, you know, it's part of, partly my fault. I, I wouldn't tell. But, I mean, I'm thinking, why didn't they just ask me to move my hair back a little bit? You know, when you're, like, battered up and stuff, you just, you're protecting the person. I don't know why. I don't know why we protect them. I just know we do. Because I did. And so, long story short, they wouldn't even let me. The police are like, you don't live here. So I'm like, I live here. All my stuff's here. Um, they're like, do you pay bills here? And I'm like, no, I have a house. I don't pay bills here, but I, I've been living here for so-and-so months. Well, here in the state of North Carolina, man, if you don't pay bills here, are you, you know, and they're his, like, clearly one of them knows him and they're big buddies. 
but what would it have hurt for them to go in the house and get my son's outfit? And, and then, so this is like the funny part is after they left, I, you know, I left and I just went to Walmart and got an outfit and he, you know, of course apologized the next day and I got his work phone and I went through his work phone and that, that officer who comes to the house had actually texted him and told him, um, Hey, don't worry. I won't tell anyone about this. And it's really embarrassing. And, you know, you should get a restraining order against her. She's going to cost you your job. So here I'm the victim. I was the one who was um, flung up against a wall by my throat, which the cop doesn't know. But even not knowing that, all my stuff is all over the yard. I'm talking underwear on top of my car. He threw my panties on top of the car. Bushes in the car. Um, anything glass is broken on the driveway. And the cop, his friend feels it's appropriate to say, hey, you need to get a restraining order on her. I mean, that's what I'm, like they just stick together. So I'm like, oh, well, I guess I won't be calling the cops anymore. But um, then where do we get to? We get to marriage. I was going to move away because I really kind of felt like I had enough. Um, and we weren't engaged. He kept like, oh, we'll get engaged. We'll get engaged. We weren't engaged. Finally got engaged. He went out and bought me a really pretty ring. Had a marriage. You know, we got married on the beach in Charleston. It was a really pretty and um, we bought a really nice house, a really expensive house. And um, that's when the abuse got really, really bad. And, and I know I've, I've heard about, you know, when you get married, it gets worse. It always gets worse. Well, for me, that's what happened. It got 10 times worse. So maybe he would hit me once a month or grab me once a month or this or that. Now it's turned into three times a week. And, um, the, the incident where he would get the worst is around the holidays. So it's like, um, Thanksgiving's approaching and we spend it with my family. Chad, I have a, you know, some of my family members are really nice. And so the ones that we were spending Thanksgiving with were really nice. And, um, so they came over and they had Thanksgiving with us. And I'll tell you, like, he, I wasn't having Thanksgiving with his, with his mom. I couldn't stand her. The last time I'd had dinner with her, she told me I needed to get rid of my cats. And so, anyways, we had it with my family. And so I'm wondering what he's telling his family because I don't ever hear from them. And so I I look at his phone and um, he tells them that he's working. It's like, oh, I can't come to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm working. So he's lying to them, telling them that he's working on Thanksgiving. He, so he had a Facebook and an Instagram. He didn't post any pictures on either one. So he's just like living this double life. He's just, I don't know what he's told them, or, or maybe he told them we broke up or we're not together or we're getting divorced. I don't know, but he was always living a double life, even before we got married. And so... You know, he'd either deactivate his social media accounts when he wanted to to live this double life, or he would just not post anything. So he told the family he's at work. We're having Thanksgiving dinner together. Um, He's upset because he's not spending it with his mom. And um, for the next couple days, he started drinking even more than he normally did. And we went out to dinner. 
he started drinking at home. I wasn't ever really a big drinker, so I was typically the driver. So he starts drinking. Um, what do you mix with Coke? What, what's the alcohol guys like to mix like with Like Jack Daniels? Yeah, yeah, like Jack Daniels. So he, is, he got a big bottle of Jack Daniels, and I'm getting ready. We're at the house. He's drinking. We're going to go out on a date. And half the bottle of Jack Daniels is gone before we even leave the house. And so we go to, like, Carabas. I think that's where we were going, Carabas. And we're, we sit down, and everything's, like, going good. And then uh, he said something really offensive to me. And I think he, I think he like, said something about my son being a crybaby or something. And... Um, I just kind of, I pushed my food away. I, my, the food didn't even get there. I think I was eating the bread. It was supposed, I was eating the bread. And I just kind of pushed it away and went out to the car. And we got into it in the restaurant. I mean, we weren't, like, screaming or anything. It was just one of those, like, quiet, you know, little, this dinner's done. <laughs> the food hasn't even come yet. So I go to wait in the car for him. And he comes to the car and he's just, you can tell, you can just tell him his demeanor. He's just mad as hell. And he gets in the car and he slams the door so hard. I thought the door was going to break off of the vehicle and we're driving home and we're arguing about this conversation that we had. And I talk with my hands sometimes and I'm talking with my hands. He's like, if you touch me, I swear to God, I'll bash your head in. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not touching you. I'm just talking not touching you, but it was just, he had been putting his hands on me for six months. And so that's the nervy part here too. So you can body slam me and sling me up against walls and, um, you know, do all these things to me. And if I touch you first, it's like not allowed. I mean, not that I did, but it's just, just the nerve. Like, you can go do this to people all the time, but if someone does it to you, it's just not acceptable. You're going to bash their head in. So we get home, and um, we're in the room, and we're fighting, and I'm telling him about his mom. I'm like, you're just mad because you didn't get to have Thanksgiving with that. And, yeah, I said some not nice stuff about her. I mean, the lady told me to get rid of my cats. Like, don't worry about my animals. I have two cats. She doesn't like cats. She thinks they're filthy which is really none of her business. But we were into it about just everything. The daughter being mean to me and my son, the, the, the grandma being nasty to me. And um, we got into it. And I, I said something about his mom. I think I called her like a bitch or something. Told her, you know, to go, yeah, go to hell. And um, that's when he hit me. He, I was in the closet getting my clothes to move out for the hundredth time. And, um, and while I'm trying to gather my clothes, he's taking all my stuff and he's throwing it out on the porch. This is like one of the main things was throwing my belongings out in the yard. It's become like a normal. So he takes my wedding dress. I have this beautiful wedding dress, an Eve of Milady wedding dress. He throws it out on the lawn. All my clothes are out in the yard. And so I'm still in the closet and, um, I get up. And he's yelling at me, and then, bam, he just he smacks me as hard as he can in the face with a coat hanger. And I was like, I've just never been hit. I've never been hit with an object, uh, you know, as an adult by a man. And so I'm like, this is new. This hasn't happened. 
before. So I go to run out of the house because at this point I'm scared. Like I'm, I just, I'm scared. And I go to run out of the house and he yanks me by my hair. And, um, you know, yanks my hair about three times as hard as he can. And then he finally just picks me up because I'm like 105 pounds, five, four, not very big. And he just picks me up and carries me to the door and shoves me out the door. And you know, my I had my cousin come over. My cousin came over and because um, he was friends with him and he was really mad. He's like, "Look at her face. You know, look what you've done to her." And uh, I was wanting to call the cops. And he's like, "Don't do that. If you call the cops, we'll both go to jail." Well, I don't know why the hell I would go to jail. He didn't have any marks on him. I didn't touch him. Normally, Chad, I might, I might fight back. And when I say fight back, I just mean, like, if he had me restrained to the ground, if I could get one hand loose. Now, remember, in the beginning, I was just such in shock. I just would sit there and cry or just not know what to do. And as time progressed and the abuse continued, I started to, to fight back. And when I say fight back, I just mean if I could get one hand loose, I would scratch his face. Like I would literally, cause that was what, all I could get to is scratch his face. And, you know, once he got off, that was it. It wasn't like I would continue, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't coming from a place of like anger. It's coming from a place of like, I need to set myself free. And so when he would go to work, you know, he'd tell a couple of his buddies, look at my face. She scratched my face. She's abusive too. And so for a brief moment there, you know, until I started going to therapy, he had me convinced that defending myself was abuse. I'm like, oh my gosh, I did, I did leave. And that's how he convinced me not to call the police because any, any assault that he initiated that I combated and left a mark, he had me convinced we would both go to jail. Mm-hmm. And if there's no video footage, no witnesses, no nothing, it's, it's our word against each other. You know, it's just my word against his. And both people can go to jail. And that was scary to me, too. And so on this particular night, I finally had him. As far as, like, you did this to me, there's not a shadow of a doubt. But I went to bed. I didn't call the cops. He had taken my phone, um for a few minutes and convinced me not to call the cops. He said that we would both go to jail and that we would both lose our jobs. And, you know, I'm a nurse. He's a cop. I just, I just graduated, had become a nurse, was working as a nurse. I'm just like, I'm not even going to take a chance on losing my job. And so I didn't call. And he gets up in the next morning. He doesn't apologize. I go downstairs to sleep in a separate room. He stays upstairs. He goes to work at like 6.45 in the morning. Gets in his little cop SUV and uh, drives off. And then he comes home about a few hours later. I'm still in bed. And he packs a suitcase. And this is what they do, too. Just, like, why are you packing a suitcase? Like, here he did something awful terrible to me. And he, the, the psychological mind-screwing they do with you, this man is pretending like I've done something wrong and he's got to pack a suitcase to leave. And where do you think he's going, Chad? My biggest, my biggest fan's house. His mother. Yeah. I cannot stand that lady. 
So he packs his suitcase, he leaves, and I'm just laying in bed, and I'm just like, you know, I've been dealing with this for six months, maybe eight, and um, I'm like, what's going to happen to him? I'm like, he's never, he's never been on food stamps or welfare, you know, his daughter has these braces, you know, my son, you know, I couldn't afford braces. And I'm like, I just worked so hard. And now I've just gotten into this terrible abusive relationship. And I'm like, well, now we're going to get divorced. I'm probably going to lose a little money out of this house we purchased. And things are going to be harder for my son and I, not easier. And I'm like, he's just going to proceed doing this to people. And, um, and his uniform, I mean, he's really, really handsome, especially in that uniform. And I'm just like, I just, that can't happen. Like this man cannot continue doing this. And so I call the police. I don't call his, his police department. I call the sheriff's department and I just tell them, I'm like, I just need to know what to do. I'm like, my husband keeps hurting me. He keeps assaulting me. And every time I try to call and get help, he tells me we're both going to go to jail. Is that true? Well, ma'am, yeah, that, that is true. I mean, you know, if most people have marks on them, that, is, that, that can happen. And um, he's like, I'll tell you what, why don't you come in and talk to me? And um, so I did. I told him, you know, over the phone, I'm like, yeah, you know, my, my husband's a police officer, and, and last night he hit me in the face with a coat hanger really hard and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't, I didn't even think about it, Chad. All of this was being recorded. In addition to they have this system where they can look up your number and find out who you are. So they already knew who I was, even though I had called anonymously because I still wasn't sure if I wanted to tell on him. And... Um, so I go in and I see, you know, I've got marks on me from that coat hanger. And um, I actually had bruises in my ears, too. They were about three days old. But, but one of the main points I'd wanted to talk about was when a police officer does this, and this is in my experience, it could be different for other people, but he was very premeditated in the physical violence in that he would typically do things that would not leave physical evidence. And that's what makes it so tricky, Um about, like, getting help or proving that it's happening or, you know, he would pull my hair. So I didn't leave evidence. He would um, drag me around by my ears. You know, he'd grab, when he'd get mad, he'd grab my ears and just fling me around the house. And that typically didn't leave evidence. Now, he had done it so many times one week. Because I told you, once we got married, the abuse just got way, way worse. And so he had grabbed me by my ears and he flung me around the house. And I think he'd done it about three times that week. And so that normally wouldn't have left bruises, but it did this time. He'd done it so many times. And so uh, the body slamming, the restraining, the false imprisonment when you're trying to leave and they're, and they're keeping you there. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, and, and one time he even held me upside down by my ankles. Like he grabbed me off the bed held me upside down by my ankles and told me he was going to drop me on my fucking head. Now, granted, I was only like, you know, a few feet off the ground. It probably wouldn't have really hurt me. But, I mean, who does that? Who holds someone upside down by their ankles and threatens to drop them on the head? And, again, no physical evidence with any of these things I've just talked about. So, anyways, I get there. I have marks all over me. Um, They take a, a police report. I must have been there like five hours. 
I, th- I think they had me retell the story a thousand times. And so he gets arrested, and it's all over the news for three days. And it was so embarrassing because I hadn't told anyone what was going on. I had kept it a secret. And so while they didn't list my name on the news uh, outlet, everyone knew that was my husband. And so I'm working at the hospital, and everyone at work knows. They were nice enough not to say anything. Um, But it was just what happened after his arrest that just, uh, he, he had a no contact order in place. And he was in jail for three days. And when he got out, um, I was at a gas station. So one of the copings to get through all of this, there's been a lot of smoking. I hate to admit that. I really do. But I can't, you know, I haven't been able to sleep uh, for a while now. And so, oh, you know, I was parked at a gas station off of a, a pretty popular highway. And I'm just sitting there smoking and just, he pulls up next to me. He just, he, either he knew me that well or he had some kind of like tr- tracking device on my, um, on my phone or something. I don't know. And uh, he pulled up next to me, and he, he's like, "I'm sorry." And you must I, have been you, know, sca- you must have been scared to death when he pulled up next to you. I almost died. I didn't know what to think, but I was sitting. So I was sitting at a well lit gas station right in the front. So um, I was though. It was just very unexpected because this wasn't even a gas station that I would go to a lot. And so I was just in shock, really in shock that he would violate a no-contact order. And uh, it, it really just in shock. And, and I'm thinking to myself, he's going to be mad as hell that he went to jail. And it was pretty embarrassing. I mean, he was arrested at work. So, you know, it wasn't like, so yes, I was. To answer your question, yes, I was. And, and he apologized. And it really caught me off guard because I'm like, wait, he apologized? He's not mad. Um, so this is the person, the I'm sorry. I just want to like say this is the person that's not real. So he's saying he's sorry, and at the time I'm believing it. But now that I'm out of the situation, I can look back and say that was the, that was the mask. He was not sorry. But he said he was sorry, and I believed him. And um, I was very surprised. And he said, they took my phone. And I'm like, who took your phone? He's like, the sheriff's department took my phone. They took my work phone. They took my private phone. He's like, do not text those phones. Because, you know, Chad, again, when the text message comes through, it shows on the screen, even if the phone's locked. So the detective who has these phones can at least read portions of a text that's not too long, if that makes sense. So he tells me they have his phones. Um, he would not, so the entire investigation, he would not release the, the passcodes to these phones. Um, but anyway, so he tells me not to text these phones. He went to Walmart and bought one of those, like, Verizon $50 phones, and um, he gave me the number to it. And uh, he told me to call him or whatever. And... Um, which I don't think I did. I don't think I did, but he left. He, so he's staying at his mom's house. I'm staying at, at our house. 
And he starts texting, you know, he starts texting me. And, you know, I didn't tell on him. And now that I think about it, I guess maybe I should have. But, you know, every time this man gets arrested, it's going to be on local news. And so that was embarrassing to me. Um, so that was a, there was a couple reasons why I didn't call. But, um, you know, it was just embarrassing to me every time he ended up on the news. And I knew that if he violated that no contact order, he would be arrested again. And I'm just very confused at this point. I don't know if I want him to lose his job. Um, you know, I kind of feel, I, I really feel kind of sorry for him. And so, you know, just a lot of, a lot of confusion is what I felt. A part of me was mad. A part of me was sad. A part of me didn't want him to lose his job. A part of me. And so internal affairs calls me. This is about a week after he'd gotten out of jail. They call me. His, you know, these are the people that investigate officers at his work. And they call me and they're like, I, you know, I'm sorry that you've gone through this. I'm sure, you know, it's been a very traumatic event, um, but we wanted to call and get a statement from you. And I said, no. I said, I'm not giving a statement. I really just want to be left alone. And so what had already, what happened to him had happened to him. And maybe they'll fire him, maybe they won't, but I didn't want to help them fire him. So I didn't give a statement. I was trying to have mercy on this person. And so he works on me for now. So the, the hearing, the hearing is like in three weeks and it's not like the actual where we're going to be testifying. It's just to do like some logistics stuff, you know, when will be the actual hearing. So it's basically a hearing. So, so, it's, schedule a, so, it's, so it's three weeks from now. Yeah, it's three okay. weeks. it's about three weeks. Yeah, so about three weeks from the day of the arrest. Three it, or four weeks. So, Let me so, see. So no, this is, okay. No. So, this, so this is really fresh. Well, it happened November twenty seventh or twenty eighth of twenty eighteen, and then so yeah, it was it was pretty fresh. To, it still is kind of fresh to me, but you know, he was arrested at the end of November. Um, so. But, but from you, the time of the arrest, but but you're still like this. I mean, you're still married to him. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. So I so mean, so, so, you're, so you're still yeah. really like this situation is still going on um, for you right now. So how uh, throughout this are you coping or getting through this um, while it's still because it's hard to get any sort of closure or move on while this is still going on, uh, what's going on with you and, and how are you, uh, dealing with everything? Well, let me see. I'll tell you at first, it was so stressful. Um, I really had no appetite. I stopped eating. I think I lost about 20 pounds. I mean, by the time I got, so that was in North Carolina, by the time I got to Florida, which is where I'm living now, I looked like a cancer patient. Um, I wasn't eating. I was, I, I wasn't sleeping. So the, the biggest things I noticed was my lack of appetite and how much weight I had lost. And then the sleep, I literally could not sleep and it made it hard to function. Um, you know, cause I worked these, these long 12, 13 hour shifts on about four hours of sleep. I found myself staying up till about three in the morning. Um, so when I got to Florida, I took about a month off because I just, was so traumatized. I was so scared at this point um, by what had preceded that arrest and just the, the different things that had happened. 
he was not sorry. Um, and it got very, very scary. He, you know, filed a false police report, you know, something bad happened to me. So by the time I get here, I'm just basically, I feel like I'm just trying to live. Um, so the first thing I do is and I'm crying. I'm just, I'll be, I'll be driving and I'll just start crying to the point where I can't even drive the car. And I'm just so upset. And there's, there's just no one that I even know that has even gone through anything like this for me to even talk to. So Chad, the first thing I did is I just looked up like a counselor. I'm like, I need to go to therapy. And, um, so I came across this guy that specialized in like domestic abuse counseling and, uh, you know, like personality disorder. So anyways, I went, I started going to him and it didn't really, I mean, I feel like it was nice to have someone to talk to, but it didn't really help. The first couple sessions were just someone to talk to, um, you know, he was just there to listen. And now, yeah, I've been doing it for three months now. So now it has started to help because now we've really delved into what got me into this. Why did I stay into this? And um, what was, so I just had to ask, what the hell was wrong with me to think that being treated that way was okay? A, a, a healthy person would have never tolerated that. And so I'm like, something's not healthy in me that I kept allowing this behavior to go on, you know, maybe once or twice. But when someone keeps doing stuff like that and you just tolerate it. So I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me because the main goal here moving forward is to never get into this again. And if I am to encounter someone like him or a relationship like that is to get out right away and not make excuses for it. And so, yeah, I've just been going to therapy, um, a lot of chain smoking going on, my sleep is still a little bit altered. Um, my son and I, so my son's not with me right now. He, he went to go see his dad. Now, me and my husband, we don't have children together. So my son is with his dad right now. But when he was here a couple weeks ago, we, um, we've been fishing a lot. And I find that fishing, of all things, never, never been a fisher or whatever. I, just, I don't ever go fishing. But that's what I've been doing, fishing um riding my bike and the most helpful thing I guess through all of this is just reading um reading books on this man and on what happened here because when I started reading these books Chad that's when I really realized what was going on I'd never heard of a narcissist I didn't know what that was I'm 33 I've never like I don't know maybe I heard of one I just never knew what they were and so I've just been, I've been reading these books, like Healing from Hidden Abuse or Holy Again. Like, I've just got all these books that I've been reading. And what I found is that when I was reading them, I was getting really angry. I said I was getting angry because this man, like, the things he did to me are in this book. The things his family did to me are in this book. Like, everything he did was by the book. And had I known anything about this, I guess I would have, I would have known uh, sooner can you tell me what that book is uh so everyone out there can uh hear what it is so they might if they're in the same situation they might want to go ahead and get it sure so one of the books is by shannon thomas um it's called healing from hidden abuse 
a journey through the stages of recovery from psychological abuse. And so it really deals with psycho, it deals with abuse from, you know, my part of it was in the relationship, but it, it could be a relationship, a friendship, um, a, a parental relationship. Um, but I like this book because it talked about like the toxic person's family and how they target the victim. And so you really feel outnumbered sometimes in a situation like this. And when you have no support and you feel outnumbered, so his whole family's mistreating me. They're all talking bad about me. And you just feel like it's the crazy making. You feel like maybe you are wrong. Um, and then let's see. Another book I got was Whole Again. Healing Your Heart and Rediscovering Your True Self After Toxic Relationships and Emotional Abuse. And that one's by Jackson McKenzie. And um, so I get these books on uh, Amazon. But that's been the biggest thing. The biggest thing, because you feel crazy. You feel like it's your fault. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand. They, you can't talk to them about it. It makes them uncomfortable. And so just reading these books has been very helpful to me and just educating myself um, on this. And, and um, how's your support system uh, now that you're in Florida? Do you have, uh, did, did you move there because you had friends there or uh, is it just like a brand new start and it was far away from uh, North Carolina? Well, it's far away from North Carolina. Um, my mom lives here, not really close to her. I mean, she's Okay. But, um, no, I, I, I had no friends here, no job here. Um, I just, well, I told you that I was scared. This man was like going to plant drugs in my car or something. It got to the point where he was so mad that I told on him that he was out for blood. Mm-hmm. So it was, I, it was he, a lot you know, for, a lot for safety and the law. You know, he doesn't know any cops there. He's not connected to anyone there and, no, and you yes, can be aware. Yes, so. Yeah, see, there, there's no way that I could be be arrested based off of one of his falsified police reports or have drugs planted in my vehicle. I mean, these were the things at the end. Like, he was so angry because it looked like he it was a big possibility that he would lose his career. And so he was never sorry for what he did, Chad. He was sorry that he got caught. Um, and, and the sorry was a, a way of manipulating me. So he worked on me up until those hearings to have me first lift that no contact order. Once that's lifted, now he's coming in, being all nicey nice, trying to get me not to testify, trying to get me to go into IA and say that never happened. And when those things didn't happen, when I didn't do those things, it became full-blown blackmail, falsified police reports, just anything he could do to severely impact my life. It didn't matter if it was, if it was a lie. And so when a cop starts lying to punish someone and, and to falsify police reports, it just got so scary. So now I'm not close to my mom. I don't know anyone here. And I'm just like, I've got to get the hell out of North Carolina before this guy really impacts my life. I'm like, what if he goes in the, you know, cause we have this house. And that was, a, that was one of the issues that made it hard to leave we owned a home. And so I'm ready to get out. Like, I want to leave. He's like, not yet. I have plans. And, you know, to sell a home, you have to have both owners sign the listing agreement. He wouldn't sign it. And so he finally signed it. But I mean, after how many months, 
And because the mortgage was so high on this house, now, again, he'll have people thinking that I'm crazy, that I'm toxic, that he had to keep me up. Those things are just so far from the truth. Our house, I paid half the bills. And so the mortgage was really expensive. I'm paying half the bills. But one of us has a lot of student loan debt and this and that, and the other doesn't. So he had more money, but yet we're splitting the mortgage right down the middle, and it was killing me. 60 hours a week, I'm having to work. But the point being, I had a financial obligation to pay half of this mortgage because my credit, and I wanted to maintain my good credit. Well, Chad, I can't live in this house, pay this mortgage. Or, or, you know, maybe people are like, well, go get, go rent somewhere. How can you rent somewhere when all your money's going into your, your bills on this house? And so I was just really felt so trapped. But I did escape. I mean, I made my great escape. Um, I just got the hell out of there. I didn't have a job lined up. Um, didn't know anybody. And so when I got down here, it was difficult. I'm not close to my mother. We've just never had a close relationship. Um, you know, I have, I have a family member that I was really close to, but she, she's a terrible drug addict now. And, uh, you know, it's just there's really no support system down here. Mm-hmm. I'm close to my dad. He's stuck in North Carolina still until he sells his properties. So that was hard, too, just having no support system down here. Um, so, but you, you're working. I am. I got a job at the hospital. So, so you're working, Um, so you're working there and I guess you're, I guess the next step for you is get this case uh, settled, have it over, uh, somehow force a divorce if that uh, as fast as possible. And then uh, from that point, work on, uh, moving on, uh, or not, or, or really, beginning the healing process yes and so uh, we are legally separated i guess um after years pass it'll be an automatic divorce um and and as far as his job i don't know if he will be terminated the last i heard they said for me child like i want justice i didn't get to testify because he was threatening me and he had me so scared And so, you know, my therapist wants me to come to terms with the fact that there may not be justice. And so I guess I'll have to accept that. But, you know, I'm just like, I do believe in karma. And I just, I think that whether he he gets terminated or not, um, you can't get away with doing this to people. It just feels, it's just so... I don't know if I've verbalized well just what I've gone through. Yeah, you have. But it's just so it's just so life shattering and um I don't know. I don't know what healing looks like. To me, I can at least tell my story now without crying and I can drive down the road without crying so bad that I have to pull the car over. And so I feel like I'm making I am making progress. But I don't know it seems like it lessens a little each day. And so I'm just thinking maybe a year from now, it'll just be, I won't really feel anything at all. Um, But I really just want people to know you, if you're in a situation like this, it's just, I had to read these books on it and, and 
I wasn't the problem. He had me convinced I was the problem. I wasn't the problem. And he didn't treat me like a human being. I mean, the things he'd said to me, and it always starts off the, the verbal abuse. And that's, there's just such a pattern here. First, they have to chip away at your self-esteem, and then they put their hands on you, or they don't. But, you know, emotional abuse is just as bad. And I think that's the part that I'm having the hard time with, is just undoing all that brainwashing that he did to me. And so I think that that needs to be a big part of the healing process is just undoing the brainwashing because, you know, I dated him for years and, and the abuse started probably six, seven months after we started dating. And so I've just for years have been told these things that so many times I just, a part of me believes them to be true so yeah, I mean, I'm doing okay. I'm, I got a job. I bought a house. Um, and you know, life is, life is okay. Um, well, it sounds like, you know, you're started, you've started a good part of the healing process to get to where you are now. Um, in, in this situation, I mean, this, this episode for everyone, I think this is going to help a lot of people. Uh, the way you told your story um, and uh, all of the, the abuse you endured, but also uh, how to explain to everyone who, who's not uh, involved in these situations or may be involved in situations that this happens. Uh, people stay in it for a, for a long time and uh, there's no shame uh, in that at all. Um, there's, you know, the person has sucked you in and you're, you're in that world and it's hard to get out of once you're in it. And uh, now that you're on the other side, I think it's, it's inspiring. I think your, your story is going to be very inspiring to people uh, that you, you went through so much and got to the other side and, and the way you told your story and in a very, you know, we had the discussion beforehand. Uh, I didn't know if you, I, I couldn't tell by our text if you were ready to, to, to tell the story on the show based upon our text and everything. And you told your story uh, so well, and you should be really proud of yourself because um, this is going to help a lot of people, I think. Well, and I hope it does. And, you know, people are just, I've had to get, I can't really even talk to some of my friends now because they'll say things that are really offensive, like, um, oh, you just need to get over it. Like, that's the worst thing you could tell a victim of, of any sort of abuse is, oh, you just need to get over it. And, you know, one of the other things that aggravates me, well, didn't you know this about him before you got married? None of those things really matter. Yeah, it's not relevant. It doesn't matter. It's not, it's totally irrelevant. And they don't understand the cycles because they they can't relate to this. I really feel like the people that can relate to this are the ones who have lived it, and um, there is no shame in it. And I totally get why people are stuck and why they can't leave, and um, and why they don't, you know, and it, sometimes it, why they don't say anything. Uh, like uh, you know, why why you know just well, Chad, Chad, look why people don't say anything. I mean, the man. So 
the morning I'm supposed to testify against him. Now, I haven't made up my mind. I haven't decided if I'm going to or not. A part of me, and that's what's so confusing, a part of you loves this person still, and a part of you recognizes they're hurting you, and it's, you're, you're having very conflicting emotions, and you feel crazy because they've made you that way. And so it's the morning I'm supposed to testify. He hadn't been staying at our home. He'd been staying with his mother 30 minutes away. I'd worked two jobs, got home at like one in the morning, and guess who's laying in my bed? He is. And I'm in the shower, and he tries to love bombing. Baby, baby, I've missed you. I haven't seen you. Well, how convenient eight hours before the hearing, right? But by this point, I have at least a little bit of knowledge of what he's doing. I haven't put a label on it. I haven't put a love bombing label on it. I just know something, like he's just trying to butter me up. Long story, long story short... He's, he gets enraged when I don't assure him that I'm not testifying in a few hours. He gets enraged. And, and one of the things, recognizing he was a rageaholic, that was a term I never really heard a lot either. And so he would go into these rages that were very, very scary. So he goes into this rage. I get up out of bed. I'm like, I'm going to go stay at my dad's. And I go to the dresser to pull out a few clothes, and he gets in front of me. Rageaholic and false imprisonment, it's just never-ending. And what he does is he grabs me by my hair. He grips it. He, he's, he's using it as a grip. And he pulls my head back slightly, and he puts his face on my face. I don't know if people can visualize this, but his face is on my face. That's how angry he is. And he's telling me what a piece of shit I am and how worthless I am and how I've ruined how I've ruined his life. It's all my fault, of course. And I'm crying. My mouth is open. And he tilts his head slightly, and his lower lip goes into my mouth just a little bit. Chad, what do you think I did to this guy? I bit him. Mm-hmm. I bit him. He has me in a restraint. His face is on my face. His lip goes into my mouth. I bite him. Now, it's nothing severe. It's not a severe injury. I just want him to let me go. I want to set myself free from him, and I want to leave the house. So he throws me off of him, pushes me off of him, whatever, and he calls 911. 911, my wife assaulted me, and he hangs up the phone, and I'm just sitting there calm as a cucumber. I'm like, well, that was stupid. I'm like, now you're going to go to jail and be on the news again. No, no. No, no, that's not what happened. So please get there. And I tell him what happened. I'm like, I'm supposed to be testifying in a few hours. I'm like, he restrained me, had his face on my face, wouldn't let my head go, wouldn't let me out of the house, and I bit him. And, you know, it didn't require any medical attention. It was just a superficial wound. Chad, he literally falsified a police report. He told him he, he told them he didn't touch me, and I just came up and bit him. So... This has been the part that I'm having a hard time discussing with people because it's just so unbelievable. It's so humiliating. Dramatic. I've never been to jail in my life. Who do you think they arrested? You. Me. Yeah. Being abused by this monster for six months wasn't enough. This This is how sick he is. 
he victimized me again and then he, and then and then just really added the trauma and as you know the people are on their way the, the police are on their way he's like now bitch you get to see what it's like to go to jail and now you'll see what it's like to lose your job well i didn't lose my job not even close doesn't affect patient care um but the point being he was just i told on him and he retaliated mm-hmm. And it did become very scary, and it really could have impacted my life. And I'm glad that I did get out relatively unscathed, but it did require leaving the state. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was something, too, to have to deal with now. And, you know, they take, it takes your identity away. Um, you know, that's something I've been kind of dealing with, too, is I just sometimes I feel like I don't know who I am anymore. So that was that was really scary to me that an officer could do that. And I did call Internal Affairs, and I, I requested that they give him a polygraph. I don't know if they did or not. But, yeah, it was very traumatic. And, um, you know, that's my story. And uh, I, wish, I wish I would have had a hidden camera in the house. Had I had a camera in the house, it would have seen what had happened. And so when you're dealing with someone like this, these are things you have to think of. And... Um, you know, the, the charges got dismissed, but it was still very scary. And I did have to sit in a, in a holding cell for about eight hours. And um, that's when I, when I got out. I'm like, I've got to get out of here. When a police officer starts falsifying police reports, that becomes very, very scary. Mm-hmm. So I got out, and here I am. And here you are. <laughs> So, and Here I, I am. And I, I just want to thank you for uh, sharing your story with us today and uh, being part of the show. And uh, for everyone out there who's listening, I think you uh, can learn a lot from uh, this story. It's a, you know, a, a tale. It's a heart, you know, it's a, a made for a TV. It's a movie, like a, a movie. Like this stuff kind of only happens in the movies or people see it only in the movies. And uh, this is, uh, was, is your real life. And, um, uh, I wish you nothing but the best, but we'll hopefully we'll keep in touch and uh, find out more as, as this, as your story kind of unfolds and where you are in your healing process later. Um, but, uh, besides that, I just, once again, uh, thank you for being on the show and, uh, that is it. So everyone out there, uh, you'll probably now hear me uh, say a little bit extra after this to discuss this conversation and uh, now, I'm, now I'm just blabbering. So, uh, good night. And that was Layla's story. And as I said at the beginning, it's one of those stories that is so, uh, so hard to believe. Uh, it's hard to believe if it was not true. Uh, and if you saw it in the movie, you'd probably be like, ah, you know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. But you know what? It, it does. And this is her life, and she's still in it and still living in it. Uh, she's trying to get to the other side, but she probably won't be able to get to that healing process until uh, the whole court case and everything is settled, and you know, until like a, a, an official divorce uh, occurs, when you, she'll finally be able to really get onto the actual uh, healing process. But she was very; she told her story very well, and she should be very proud of herself. Uh, I had, uh, as I said, in the actual conversation, I did have reservations bring her on the show cause I didn't want, uh, I didn't know what her tone of voice was going to be. 
and I didn't want her triggering uh, all of you guys. And the worst thing could happen is, yes, everyone has deserves to have their story told, but at the same time, I have a responsibility to the listeners not to to uh, trigger all of you and send you into some sort of spiral. So uh, she just she did a really good job. She was very calm in telling her story, and um, you know she's uh, a fighter. And uh, she's going to keep on fighting and hopefully we'll have her on again uh, to find out what happens uh, in the aftermath and how her uh, life is going, which I want to do with everyone who's been on the show uh, to find out uh, some updates, which is why we built also the the Reddit uh, forum for ourselves. So besides that, uh, listen to tell your friends to listen to our show. If you know someone that needs to listen to our show. Uh, tell them to come and take a listen. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have an episode uh, we're recording with a, a lawyer who specializes in domestic uh, abuse. Uh, so if you have questions for her, come to the forum uh, on Reddit. Ask your questions on there. I'll put them all on a piece of paper to give to her, and uh, we'll go from there. So a lot of people that might not be able to afford some legal, just for, like, you know, it's expensive uh, legal, some just one legal question that you might have. Uh, she'll be able to answer it for you. Um, give us some five-star ratings. Tell your friends. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on po- Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on everything. And uh, we're gonna st- we're, we started opening like our own little store to buy shirts that I've been making. Some of them are good. Some of them are not. One shirt that I made is not is actually up, which is actually a drawing that I made Um in a in a, a podcast that I've we've done it will be out next week, uh, which was a, a kind of an art therapy experiment podcast, and that one was uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was pretty interesting to do. We talked while uh, we were drawing. You know, a regular conversation happened. I learned a lot about myself and things that I was struggling with. But now, again, I am always rambling, so I will just bid everyone adieu. Hope you have a great week. Until we meet again. Uh, later in the week when I'll release the uh, therapist show with all of your questions. So thank you for listening to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler, and you have a good night. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. 